1: So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/slash/recommend
2: today. Welcome to the tell Wamsley Radio Show. <laughs>
3: Welcome to the Del Wamsley Radio Show, where the hype ends and the help begins. I'm your host, Del Wamsley, and as always, we're working on your financial freedom. Well, my friends, I don't know how you see economists. I don't know if you put much stock in what they have to say. Uh, maybe it's just a giant arrow pointing in a direction. Most really good economists that I know, met personally, say that, you know, they get about 50% of the stuff right and 50% of the stuff wrong. Um, but I think that a good, good economist is the ability not just to predict where the economy's going, it's to predict what that change will mean to us as a society. And um, I get a lot of people that, that threw this report at me. It's a report from uh, Marcus Milchap, which is a brokerage commercial brokerage firm in the country. And they've got some guy named Ken Gronbach. I apologize. I don't know the guy. I've never heard of him before. I know a lot of economists that are pretty well-known, but I've never heard of this guy. So I guess they just needed somebody new to say what they wanted to say. I don't know. But for whatever it's worth, we're going to cover this today and uh, see if it makes any sense to us and make some decisions and discussions about what's really going on in this world, right? So we go down here and we read. It says... um, The key to the future is its history. Here are some of the takeaways. Um, Number one, baby boomers. That's 1945 to 1965. That would be me. Born 1945 to 1965. It actually would be my dad. No, my dad was 34. So I guess it isn't. So it's just my generation. In fact, I'm probably right in the middle of that. 56 is right in the middle of that. I am dead center a boomer says uh, "They are no longer the largest generation in the U.S." There you go. We are no longer the ones making the power decisions. Um, boomers have the cities uh, will be the saviors of the cities by moving back in the city within walking distance of entertainment, sports, culture, hubs as well as health care and hospitals. All right, so they're saying that baby boomers, as they age, are going to want to move back to the cities. I don't see that, Uh, especially if the Democrats stay in control and crime gets worse and worse and worse. I don't see old people want to walk around the cities. I don't see them want to be on mass transit. I don't see any of that. I I don't know why you do, but I don't. Let me tell you what seniors are really like once they become unsympathetic to taking care of themselves. I used to own a senior citizen's home. To get in, you had to be 55 years of age or older to get in. And so everybody there was 55 or older. Now what happens, if you know anything about aging and life, and I didn't until I owned a senior citizen's place, is that people regress. Slowly but surely, starting at about age 65 to 70, they start regressing backwards towards childhood. But what's more important than that is their social habitat. When you're young, and let's just take this as a whole, let's not make this a racist and not a sexist and not a uh, a Republican or Democrat, blah, 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 blah thing, Let's just look at what I believe to be true and take it as my opinion. When I was a young boy, men chased women. Now I know in this day and age we don't know if you even are a woman or a man. It's you know you haven't decided yet. What, what got all that? But in the old days, the economy, the whole culture, was men chased women, and there were more women than there were men. So there was this, I'm sorry, situation. Where men were always out there trying to capture the affection of some lady. But what happens socially as you get older is that men die sooner than women do. And so at some point, by the time you decide you're not going to live alone anymore, whether it's just easier not to live alone, and in a senior's place, you get up, all your food is there kitchens are there. Um, they have transportation that made available to you, whether it be Uber for individual flights, or they have buses for trips they go on together. They have activities together. And this is where these people can socialize together. I see senior citizen complexes popping up all over the country. And I see it as some of the most important demographic change there is. Now, when I had one, I loved owning it. Why? Because people are dying to get in and dying to get out. They want in so bad, but there's usually a waiting list. And once they get in, they'll never miss a payment. Heaven forbid getting kicked out. And the rowdiest things that they do are go too fast with their scooters on the, on the parking lot. You know, those little motor scooters they drive around on. So, so what happens is, and this is just a funny antidote, is that every time a new guy would move into the apartment complex, all the women would come up to the office and go, okay, what's he like? We need to know the important things about this guy uh, before he moves in. And they'd want to know things like, does he have teeth? Can he walk? Right? Does he have a colostomy sack? You go, Dell. No, that's, that's just disgusting. No, I had a colostomy sack two years ago. <laughs> come on. It happens. And losing your teeth happens, and not being able to hear anymore happens, and not be able to see very well happens, and not be able to walk anymore happens all the time. And people are on walkers, and on crutches, and canes. But even so, they still need attention. They still need companionship. And so when a new guy moves in, he'll go into the card room, or the game room, and Five women will sit around him, all trying to introduce themselves to him. They'll cook for him. Sometimes they might even offer to come over and clean for him. But there's definitely still relationships going on. And I don't see old people wanting to go downtown to try to find those relationships. I just don't see it. Now, there are low-end senior citizen places that are not as nice. I owned a lower-end one. And there are very high-end ones, which are like living like a queen and king. But to me, I don't see people, old people moving back to the city. These guys, they dig this kind of stuff. They love this. Oh, yeah, everybody's going to move back where it's easy to get around. It's not easy to get around when there's thugs shooting you in the street. It's not easy to get around when there's thugs robbing you and murdering you and beating you to death in the subways. As long as we have this defund the police thought process, as long as we let criminals back out on the street, senior citizens are going to leave the cities. Believe me, these guys are lying to you. Now, why would they do that? Well, because they know that they're building tons of new apartment complexes. And that's what this thing says, which means it leads to a demand for class A and class B-plus properties, renovated Bs to B-plus properties in the inner city to absorb this demand. And I'm buying my stuff as far out as I can buy it. I mean, the suburbs are where people are going, because this day and age, on any corner of a suburb, you've got every major shopping center that there is within a couple miles. Right? So, these people, I don't think, are clamoring to get back into the rundown, um, really dangerous places called the inner city, right? Uh, it says boomers will be seeking a more active senior life and will be continuing to make, consume more services, especially health care, uh, than their parents did. Dying is not on the bucket list. Ha <laughs> ha, funny, Right? Of course, they're going to consume more services. And they're also faced with the fact that they've got a lump of money and they can see the end of the trail in many cases. So they know how they can spend that money. This change in any city demographics will support continued development of new Class A apartments. Now, new Class A apartments will continue continue to drive people to want to rent them. We'll be right back with the Del Walmart Radio Show.
2: Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced.
0: Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with
2: Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Welcome back. Now here's some more unconventional wisdom to set you free. From the man on a mission to retire America, one person at a time, Dell Wamsley.
3: Welcome back to Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Today we're going over some... um, Data put out by uh, Marcus and Milchab, one of their economists. And uh, the first segment, we covered uh, baby boomers. Second segment, we're going to cover Generation Xers, which are people born 1965 to 1985. Uh, quote, unquote, there's only 69.6 million of them. And uh, they're a smaller generation without enough people to replace aging baby boomers in management. So this would be our kids, Right. So let's read about what it says, and then I'll make my comment as well as how I feel about it. Baby boomers will work until an older age due to lack of qualified replacements, okay? Because Gen X is just too small to replace all the boomers in leadership. Boomers must groom Gen Y millennials, that would be the next generation, as well as Gen X to replace them this becomes an issue because boomers have created myths around gen y millennials and their work ethic largely due to technology making work look different than boomers were young immigration especially from latin america fill the number gap between gen x and demand for labor in the u.s although the speaker feels that they will be able to fill the leadership gap i believe they're going to going into a period of greater separation between haves and have-nots, and that will affect Gen X and immigrants in this large group. Um, preventing their rise of leadership to corporate America. In my opinion, Gen X and the immigrants from the time frame will continue to be a lost generation. They have simply had too many economic hits based on the timing of economics and the geopolitical crisis during their lifetime, preventing them from getting good economic starts and hitting them financially at key points in their lives and careers. All right. A whole bunch, a whole bunch. Bottom line is there's not as many of them. Why? Baby boomers. We didn't have kids. That's the bottom line. I had one. That's not replacing myself. Right? You've got to have two per family to replace husband and wife. I had one. Many, many, many other people had none. Our kids right now. We have uh, three kids. One kid has one. Two kids have none. They're in their 30s. Uh, I had mine by age, I believe 34, something like that. 33, 34. And I was already a millionaire by the time I had a kid. But a lot of people like our kids are in their 30s, early 30s, and they're not even close to being rich. They're not even close to being retired. They're, and they still don't have kids. In fact, they're not even married. All three of them are not married, and they're in their third, you know, 30s. Early to mid 30s. So marriage and kids and so forth, that's going out of style except for, like they said, Latin American families, which still have multiple kids per family. And the fact that they're bringing in all these people from all these other countries, that there's, there's no secret to why they're doing that. The Republicans are screaming about it. The Democrats are screaming about it. But the reality is there's nobody left to work. Our kids are spoiled brats. They'll do phone work. If they can sit on a phone all day, if there's something they can do that they can sit on a phone and play with the computer, they might do it. But there's nobody going back into the labor force. There's nobody out there right now learning trades. I see it all the time. There's big, giant programs to try to get people to go into trades and get trade degrees. Right now, you can't build stuff. There's nobody out there to build anything. Our economy is going to be devastated by the time this Gen X generation is fully in charge and the Whatever we are again, the boomers, were gone. When the boomers are gone, Gen X is dead in its tracks. It's got very few leadership positions, very few leadership people. I agree with that argument base, because they don't want to be. Because they never learned leadership, because they have no real goals in life other than their time. They want to get their time back. They don't want to get more money. They don't want to get more success. And so, they're running into it. Now, their kids... And the Gen Y people. Let's see what they say about Gen Y. Gen Y, which is um, all right. Gen Y, born nineteen eighty five to two thousand five. So these are like, I guess eighty five two thousand five. That'd be five years, from fifteen. So these are kids up to fifteen would be the youngest. Okay. So these are our eldest kids and our Eldest grandkids, I guess, whatever. Often called millennials have surpassed boomers by about 10 million people. The fact is driving force behind the future success of our industry, which they're talking about the apartment industry. Gen Y was late getting started for a variety of reasons. We have started to see an impact on our industry in past few years, and the pace is picking up as the generation begins to marry and have kids later in previous generation. Gen Y loves the city but will move to the suburbs to raise their kids seeking more space and better education. Gen Y is more likely to rent both single family and multifamily units than previous generations. This should lead to the development and the renovation of large apartment units in the second and tertiary markets. Single family home sizes in the suburbs may be too big for millennials who are less attracted to consumption. This would indicate that our current model of a 322 property of 2,500 square foot and under will remain the strongest demand for rental. So I've always believed that houses 2,500 square feet and below were really where the money was in real estate. I've always bought them as rent houses. I've never bought apartments with units that large. Um, I think 1,200, 1,300 square foot is the largest units. And, and the bottom line is people don't need the amount of space that they, they live in. I live in a 16,000 square foot home. It's ridiculous. I've got the money to do it, so there's no reason not to do it, but it's ridiculous. It's just There's no use for that much space. I could remodel this house, take away half the space or more, and still be just as happy, right? Just as happy with what I have, if I had the critical space. The problem with buying homes, if you've ever tried to buy one, if you want the really nice stuff, the critically important stuff, the really nice kitchens, right? And the really neat video rooms and the gyms and extra garages so you can have your cars and your tools and your toys and whatever. You can't get that unless you go up. Big square footages. Because they think everybody just wants bedrooms and kitchen, bath. And so they brag about how many bedrooms and how many baths, but that doesn't do any good nowadays. Why buy a house with eight bedrooms when you have one kid? These are all wasted things. So I do believe one thing we can derive out of this conversation here today is that, hey, I believe that units are going to get smaller. In fact, I was looking and I did an article a year or two ago about micro units where they were starting to rent 200 to 400 square foot apartments. And they were micro units. And all it basically was was a room. You got a bed. You got a kitchenette. That was it. And they're saying that they're full because they're less expensive. I mean, you get a city like New York or where space is very expensive, uh, you know, renting 400 square feet instead of 800 is half the price. Instead of paying 5000 a month, you're paying 2500 And so I think that these micro units are going to be very useful. Well, why is that, Dell? Why has it changed? Well, think about it. Well, we'll take a break. I'll come back. I'll talk about micro and why the size of housing units is going down. We'll be right back with the Del Wamsley Radio Show.
2: Welcome back. Now, here's some more unconventional wisdom to set you free. From the man on a mission to retire America, one person at a time, Del Wamsley.
3: Welcome back to the Del Wamsley Radio Show. Today, we're covering a um, an article that was put out by uh, Marcus Milchap, uh, by an economist by the name of Ken Gronbach, I believe. And uh, we were in the middle of covering the Gen Y generation, which was the 85 to 2005 births. to call them millennials. And um, we were talking about how they're saying the Gen Y people don't need as much space. They don't crave big houses. They don't crave large apartment complexes or large apartment unit size. And what I want you to think about is this. If you could see my hands right now, you would see I'm holding a cell phone. I have it with me everywhere I go. In fact, my wife and I got in the car the other day to go eat dinner and she got halfway out of the driveway and realized she didn't have her phone. And she goes, oh God, oh my God, should I go back, should I go back, should I and she goes, I guess I don't really need it. And I said, You really think that? So don't you think you'll be crazy sitting at the bar when we're sitting there eating, not looking at your phone, not knowing what to do when I'm looking at my phone? Not wondering who's calling you, not calling you. See, today, in this day and age, people live by the cell phone. And what has that done? Well, first of all, I remember when I was a kid, when I was 19, 20 years old, I wanted the largest set of speakers I could buy. I wanted the most number of speakers I could stick in a room. I wanted a high-fidelity turntable. And I never, ever would have believed music could come out of a phone and sound anything close to being music. In fact, today I still don't believe it sounds the same. I know people that are younger don't know the difference, but high fidelity coming off of a turntable—it was so much better, especially with those giant speakers instead of those little earbobs. I mean, it's just not the same. Sure, the music gets transferred into your brain, but it's just not the same—the feeling of listening to that music. But they don't have that feeling. They don't have that because they've grown up with the earbobs, and that's all they know. That's all they care about. And so, as long as they got their earbobs in. And they've got a little picture that's, you know, four by whatever it is, three by four, three by five, six. They're happy. Whereas we wanted big screen TVs. So now I have a whole room, a 106-inch screen and a projector and a 7.2 sound surround system, which means it has seven surrounding speakers and two woofers, subwoofers, one on each side. Um... And to me, that's just the most pleasurable thing in the whole world, to go sit in there in the high-fidelity and the great picture and enjoy these stuff. But yet, my wife can pick up her phone. and remember, she's 12 years younger than me. She can pick up that phone right in the middle of an incredible movie, start watching her phone, looking something up, texting somebody. It's just amazing. They really don't put any value on size, on quality, the size of your home, the quality of your home doesn't mean anything to them. According to a guy that works for Ford Motor Corporation, he got his economic report out from from Ford and he was saying similar things. He says um, kids aren't buying big cars anymore. They're not buying hot rod cars, big cars. They're buying little cheap, inexpensive cars. Even cars are not important to them anymore. So you can see where this is going. You know, it's going to go to where housing is going to be a commodity at some point. And then, of course, real estate's always location, location, location. So if you were, they want to be. Now, my guess is that the younger generation will want to move into the city. Just exactly opposite of what these guys are saying. These guys are saying the younger generation is going to want to move out into the suburbs. Now, I think that's based on what they're considering the younger generation as having kids, right? And wanting to raise those kids in a subdivision with a school district that's not a crime-ridden school district. That's my guess. It's what they're trying to say. And maybe I just don't get the generational breakup or separations that they have here. But I just know my kids, my kids do not have any desire Right? No desire at all to buy a home, to live in the suburbs. Oh, I take them. No, I take back. Two of our kids do. One of them um, is renting a home, but would like to buy one. The other one is uh, living in a home that they want to buy. So, you're, I'm wrong. They, they are trying at mid-30s to come up with some housing issues. But they're not the big ones. They don't care about the big houses. They just want something to live in. But if you look at it, kids are the ones that want to live downtown. They're the ones that get up and stay up all night long and party their brains out. Old people don't want to go down to town and see all that stuff and do all that stuff. So I I think they're definitely wrong about that. I think seniors are going to move to either senior citizen condominium associations, which I think are all over Florida. You, You know, where do you want to retire? I want to retire in a condominium association in Florida somewhere or in some other part of the country where it's not freezing cold. I don't have to shovel snow. I don't have to worry about transportation when it's freezing cold or slipping and falling and breaking my hip. So, you know, I still see it that it's pretty status quo. Of course, I live in the South, The people. They want to come here, all right? They want to come to Texas. So we we look at this situation and say, so what's this all mean? Where does it all take us? Does it really mean anything at all? And this is the problem I have with... Um, this type of stuff is that you can make opinions and so there's a whole bunch of opinions on here and you can create whatever opinions you want from it all but i think it's it's rather interesting that what is happening is that retail space really didn't take a dive although everybody thought retail space would take a dive it really didn't what happened was online purchasing, online uh, buying became popular during COVID to a much larger extent than it had been previously, and it had already been pretty large. But that didn't mean people didn't want to go to retail. Just as soon as we could go back to retail, we are in retail. There's something that is much different about going out and looking at a product and touching it. Now, on the other hand, there's something much different about being able to shop 43 different places in 10 seconds and get the best price. And I think what happens is stores are now mirroring that. They're giving the online to go find what you want, but they're giving you the option to pick it up at the store. And I think that kind of thing is going to mean retail still around. Office space. They said for a while, I mean, I literally cut my office space in half in Houston. And we didn't need it. We just stopped meeting in the office. Now, we still have seminar space, and um, we use it now again. But the office space, virtually vacant. And if it comes time to rent again, we probably won't lease that much space again. Other companies have found that people didn't like working from home as much, although you get all these reports, everybody love working from home, want to stay there, right? And They don't want to come back. And then you get reports, well, but you're much more productive at work, and you know, the bottom line is they want to see you and know you're there working. That's what it comes down to. They want control manipulation over you. At home, they really can't control you, whether you're walking the dog or playing with your kid or on the phone to your best friend or, you know, playing some kind of online game. They don't know. And they know they don't know. And so they don't really have any way to track how much work you're really doing. And so they want you back. So office space probably will be configured differently. I heard reports about them saying that because of COVID, they don't want to have big communal spaces anymore where everybody gets everybody else sick. They want to have smaller, more private spaces. And that'll blow over someday. It just, it just doesn't matter. The bottom line is, folks, is that things change over time. My favorite example of that from my marketing classes when I was in high school and later marketing classes in college, my favorite example of that is the saddle. The guy who didn't figure out that automobiles was going to replace the horse and stayed in the blacksmithing business or the saddle making business eventually went broke. That's so all there is to it. But the saddle maker who decided to make seat covers for automobiles made it rich. And the iron worker that was taking care of blacksmithing for the horses who changed over to being an iron worker and expert for the auto industry became rich. Yeah, you'd have to see that these industries don't go away. They just morph to the needs of the public. So, housing is not going away. It may morph to smaller units. It may morph to more amenities at those units. Or it may morph to no amenities at the units and go to bare bones. And really be an economic driver for lowest cost, best product, at lowest price. It could be it and all of those things. Because some people like something, somebody likes something else. The bottom line is, housing is here to stay. We're deep into housing, and it's not going anywhere. We'll be right back with Del Wamsley Radio Show.
2: Welcome back. Now, here's some more unconventional wisdom to set you free. From the man on a mission to retire America, one person at a time, Del Wamsley.
3: Welcome back to Del Wamsley Radio Show. Today, we're discussing um, the different generations... And what their growth is going to be as far as the economy and what's going to make a difference and so on and so forth. And the bottom line is, like I said, I I shared it because it's out there. People like to hear stats and data and so forth. But to me, the bottom line is this people got to have two things. They got to have a place to live and they got to have food. And you cut off either one of those two and people are coming gunning for you. You've got to give them a place to live. You've got to give them food. So to me, housing has always been a logical place. A logical thing to invest in, right? But what you can't get wrapped up about is housing as a culture. For example, back in the 80s, early 80s, it got more and more expensive to build housing. And so people started doing this thing called building condos. Again, What they were doing, they were selling smaller and smaller and smaller ownership rights to pieces of buildings. Now, you don't really own anything when you own a condo. You own the inside airspace of a unit, right? So you really don't own anything. You're really basically in a life-term lease for this unit is really what it is. Because you can't tell anybody what to do with the building, You can't paint the building any color you want it. You can't change the rules of the building. You basically live there and do what they tell you to do. It's basically an apartment complex that you bought the unit is what it is. And so they started condoing and condoing and condoing, and pretty soon they wanted cheaper and cheaper and cheaper because the condos were getting more and more and more expensive to where they're almost as expensive as a house. And so they started taking old apartment complexes, and renovating them into condos. Again, the apartment units were what everybody lived in. Now they were changing their usage and turning them into condos, redoing the interiors, make them unit by unit efficient as far as it had self-contained electric, self-contained water meters, and so on and so forth. And they were selling these off, calling it condoing an apartment complex. I saw this for what it was. It was the end of an era. It was an end of an era where they couldn't sell condos anymore unless they could build them for next to nothing by renovating an apartment complex. By the time this condo era ended in the 80s, in 86, 87, 88, you could buy a condo in Houston, Texas for $500. Now, I don't mean $500 a month. I don't mean $500 down. I mean $500 period. Now, how did that happen? Well, the concept of the condominium doesn't work. You have a homeowner's association run by people who have absolutely no idea what they're doing, maintaining a product that they have no idea how to maintain, and in constant conflict with each other on a building that is deteriorating way over a long period of time, that they have not thought about that long-term cost of deterioration. Most department complexes survive because they have either an owner that's willing to every five years renovate them up to normal again, or every five years they sell them, and a new owner buys it and goes and renovates it completely. But that wouldn't happen to condos. So all of a sudden, this $100 a month homeowner's association fee or $50 a month homeowner's association fee became $500 a month. And that's not counting the fact that they were selling these things to you for $40,000, $50,000, $60,000, and you had to pay mortgage payments, taxes, insurance, and this condo fee. And pretty soon, everybody just let them go. And they were worthless. Same thing with timeshares. They became worthless. In fact, people are paying to get rid of them now. Same kind of thing happened with the condo. So this trend, so to speak, I saw it come, and I saw it go. Did I ever buy condos? I bought one. When I was a young kid, buying my first place to live, that which I thought I could afford was a $40,000 condo. I kept it for 27 years, lost money on it every single year. I, rented, I only lived there a couple of years, and then I rented it out moved to something nicer. Lived there, owned it for 27 years, rented it out, lost money every single year. And the last year, I finally just gave up and said, "Dell, you're an idiot, why'd you ever buy this? And I sold it for $27,000. It's the only piece of real estate I've ever lost money on. A condo. So when I tell people, don't buy condos, right? I tell people, don't buy student housing. I had a friend that did like three or four really good deals, made a lot of money, just super returns. 100, 200, 300% returns on their deals on apartments. Then they bought, you know, you get this thing called Midas Touch and you believe that everything you touch turns to gold and they decided to do student housing. All of a sudden, somebody decided that student housing was a great thing to do. And they got caught in the wind of the sales of the student housing industry. Bought student housing and they built thousands of new units all around them. And then COVID happened and people went out of school and you know the rest of the story. But you shouldn't have bought student housing. I told you, go to the back of the book, what does it say? What do I make you write in the back of the book? I will not do what Dell said to do, which was I told them not to buy student housing, but they did it anyway. Had another guy buy weekly housing, buy a hospital. The concept was, as people were dying of cancer over by the cancer center, that people would come in and stay for weeks at a time with their sick family, getting cancer treatment, and that there was a waiting list for these people, and it was you know always full, and they charged way more than they charged for rent because it was short-term housing. Told them not to do it. What did they do? They did it. What happened? They lost all their money. So you see, my friends, the reason we've been successful for 30-plus years is because we buy basic housing. When I was doing single-family houses, I did... One bedroom, one bath, two bedroom, one bath, two bedroom, two bath, three bedroom, one bath, three bedroom, two bath. I think the largest thing I ever bought was a 1,200-square-foot, four-bedroom, two-bath. And that's think about how big the bedrooms are when it's 1,200-square-feet total for four bedrooms. Itty-bitty rooms. I always bought the smallest stuff I could buy. Never bought the biggest stuff. When I bought apartments, I always bought small apartments. Small units. Why? Because that's what rents forever. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you again tomorrow. And remember, it's not the money, it's the lifestyle.
2: For listening to the Dell Momsley Radio Show, teaching you the opposite of everything you've been taught, so you can obtain the results you've never obtained. Join us seven days a week. Can't get enough? Visit DellOnTheRadio.com to listen to the Dell Momsley Radio Show. Access past show podcasts and join the conversation. We get it.
0: Attention spans just aren't what they used to be heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one,